Well, welcome to a new year, a new series, and a new theme for the year. Every year, uh, we like to really focus on a theme for the year, and that re- that theme or that reality kind of just describes where I think we are as a church uh, and what next steps we need to take together as a faith community. The theme that we pick for this year is this idea of life in Christ. And so we're asking the question, what would it look like this year to move from wherever you are in your faith, wherever you are on this journey, to living a life that is truly and in every way in Christ Jesus. And the scripture that we are framing everything with is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That is the journey we wanna go on together. So from wherever you are right now in your spiritual journey to a life that more every day is lived in Christ. That's the goal. And if we're even going to attempt a journey like that together in this year, we have to first and foremost confess that we aren't good enough to do this on our own. This has to be a journey, uh, not of hard work and discipline, although it will take those things that will be part of the process. But this needs to be more a journey, honestly, of surrender to God's Holy Spirit, surrender to his will in our life, giving him permission to do a transforming work in us and what better part, uh, place to start this journey than with prayer? And that leads us to our first series for this year, which is simply titled Conversations, Five Great Prayers for Everyday Life. Now, in, in this series, we're gonna cover five simple but powerful prayers that should be part of our everyday prayer life, part of our, our journey, but that if we're honest, we probably don't pray nearly enough, if at all. And if you're thinking, Pastor Phil, I don't actually really have a prayer life. Don't stress because your journey can only start from where you are. And so over the next five weeks, regardless of your current prayer life, if you would commit to these prayers and making these prayers part of your routine, it could change the trajectory of your life, starting with changing your perspective. And so before we even dive in, let's define our terms. What is prayer? Let's define it for a moment. The simplest definition I can give you uh, is that prayer is talking with God and I don't think that definition necessarily surprises anyone, but what I do think is that it probably should. It probably should surprise us, uh, and the fact that it doesn't surprise us is a problem and explains probably why so many people struggle with prayer, because what we're saying is that we are able to have a conversation with our creator, and the idea that he would listen to us hear us in any way, and and on top of that, even respond to us, not to mention act on our behalf is a staggering idea. But what's craziest of all is that God is available to us for a conversation, and most believers don't even take the time to talk to him. And honestly, there's all kinds of reasons people give for this, like, I'm too busy to pray, and I get too distracted when I pray, I never know what to pray, prayer you know, seems pointless. I, pray, I always pray about pointless things. I, I, I just feel like I'm talking to myself. You know, I'm not sure how to pray. Whatever the excuse, whatever the reason, most Christians honestly don't pray. And the tragedy is most Christians want a better relationship with God. And they would say, I want that relationship, but you can't have a better relationship without communication. That's true of human relationships, uh, you know, friends, relative, your children, your spouse. It's equally as true of our relationship with God. And so I'm gonna way, way overstate this, but I think it needs to be said. You can't actually have a relationship with God unless you have 
a relationship with God. Now, this is top-notch scholarship right here. We're not messing around. This is only great theological insights here at Ransom Church. So you want to write that down. Our goal in this series is to sort of point out the obvious that none of these prayers, as we go through these, are going to be earth-shattering to anyone, but all of them are prayers you're overlooking in your life, or at very least, you have overlooked at some part, uh, point in your faith journey. And so our goal in this series is not to stand up here and to like guilt trip you about prayer. Me standing up here for five weeks and uh, telling you, you need to pray more, isn't going to get you where we need to be together. Okay. Instead, what we want to do is we want to empower you and enable you to pray more by pointing out these five simple, powerful prayers that anyone can pray, that any one of us can pray, and that all of us can stand to pray more often. So if you're ready to dive in, here we go. Turn to Psalm chapter eight. If you're using one of our Bibles, we'll be on page 326. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can raise your hand. The ushers are coming around. Uh, you can grab one and follow along. If you don't own one, please keep it. It's our gift to you. Uh, a little background on the book of Psalms. It's made up of 150 chapters or little individual writings written about 2,500 years ago. It's filled with poems and prayers that are used by Jews and Christians alike as sort of templates and reference points and how we're to pray ourselves. Even Jesus would routinely use the Psalms as a guide for prayer. Uh, today's Psalm is a prayer, and it's a perfect representation of the type of prayer we want to teach you about. So let's jump in and look at the whole prayer, and then I'll tell you the type. Uh, it says here this prayer was accompanied by stringed instruments. So uh, I've asked the band to provide a little ambiance for us here. Uh, and, and so if you hear a little music in the background, that, that's what's going on there. But here's what it says. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, Pastor Phil, I can't pray like that. Well, that's okay. You don't have to. You absolutely don't have to sound like that in your prayers, but you absolutely can pray this type of prayer in your life. So prayer number one is simply, wow. This prayer is all about the awe of God. King David wrote this psalm, uh, and, and it's obvious reading it that David is in awe of who God is. He's in awe of what God has done. And, and this is actually what a lot of the psalms are. They're wow prayers. Awe is the key building block in any form of worship, and prayer is meant to be a beautiful form of worship. So our prayers should really be filled with awe of him. And if you've not found that to be your experience with prayer, that's okay, because again, you can only start from where you are on your journey. So if you're not yet in awe of God, then you can't pray like you are. You shouldn't fake it. Some people struggle with this idea, and they say, well, why would why would God even demand awe in the first place? Why would he demand us to worship? Like, is God insecure? Is he some sort of, you know, egomaniac? And if you've ever struggled with those thoughts, you're not alone. You're actually in good company. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his Reflections on the Psalms, talks about how he had the same struggle in his mind. 
And what Lewis came to realize as he grew in his understanding of God is that the things in this life that are worthy of praise demand praise simply because they're worth it. Things that merit our praise don't need us to praise them, but we can't help but praise them once they realize their worth. Like there are things in your life that you just naturally praise, a beautiful sunset, a great football play, a delicious meal. Like no one is forcing you to be in awe of those things. It just happens. You can't not be in awe of them. It's a response as you recognize the value of what's right in front of your eyes. So you say things like, whoa, what an incredible meal. Or you say, oh, what a great view. What a great sunset. That's incredible. Or you go, did you see that tackle? Nick Bosa is a beast. And you just go, oh, wow, that's amazing. And we're in awe. And that's our response. It just comes out. It's enjoyable to us. And we don't just praise. It's natural to us to try to invite others into our praise. Like when you get a great steak and you take that first bite, your body, you just go, mmm, oh, that's so good. You can't help but express it. It, it just, it feel, if you can't, if you have to keep it to yourself, it feels stifling. Or you ever been driving through the mountains or, or wherever and you see like an amazing view and you go, oh, babe, and you look over and your spouse is sleeping and they're just missing it. That actually affects your ability to enjoy the moment. That's how praise works. And this is what's happening in Psalm 8 and other Psalms like it. When David writes these words, they're literally just overflowing. It's not forced, it's worship. It's just a verbal expression of his awe. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, you see, in commanding us to glorify him, God is actually inviting us to enjoy him. So the wow prayer is a perspective shifter. What would it look like to get the point in your faith where being in awe of God was normal and not the exception? What would it look like to get to the point in your faith where awe was your natural response to God? That is our sole dream as your pastors and as the staff of this church. It's our goal for you that we could all learn to live in wow, in the awe of God. And as we look at this prayer from King David in Psalm 8, I think there's some critical things we can learn about the why behind the wow when it comes to these prayers. So let's start with number one. We learn this. Wow, God is so awesome. He's so awesome. It would be hard to find a more overused word in our culture, as the Lego movie tells us, everything is awesome. But, but the problem is everything's not awesome in reality because awesome is in itself a, such a rich and powerful word. In fact, Oxford Dictionary defines awesome this way. It's extremely impressive or daunting inspiring great admiration, apprehension, or fear. By that definition, not everything that I call awesome is awesome. As much as it pains me to admit it, ice cream is not awesome. You know, I, it's hard for me to even say, taking a nap on the couch with the sun coming in softly in the, is gr great. But as much as I hate to say it, it's not awesome. Now my wife is awesome. My God is awesome. He is truly, truly awesome. Let me show you what I mean.
when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals? That you should think about them, human beings, that you should care for them. Now we are living in a vastly different world than King David. We have, we have powerful telescopes to look to the edges of the universe. David had a sky unpolluted by large cities and he had his eyes and that's it. When you go camping and you go, you go far away from the cities and you look at the sky, you go, wow. But with the naked eye, you can only see about 5,000 stars. That's it. And yet David stood under that sky and he said, wow, God, look at what you have made. Look at what you've done. And I want you to notice what he said. When I see the work of your fingers. Today, we have so much more technology. We can look so far into the far reaches, and yet for some reason, it's like the more we see, the less awe we feel. We think because we can explain what something is that it somehow discredits who makes it all work. I mean, think about just the sun in our solar system. According to solarsystem.nasa.gov, it says this, the sun holds the solar system together keeping everything from the biggest planets to the smallest debris in its orbit. Now, a little background on our sun. It is a yellow dwarf star, as in small, in comparison to other stars. And yet it, it determines and drives our seasons, our oceans, our currents, our weather climates. If you look at the sun for too long, you can be blinded. If you're out in the sun for too long, it burns your skin it sustains all of the life on this planet, and yet there are 400 billion stars just like it all across just our Milky Way, and there are an estimated 2 trillion of these galaxies. So just, let me just show you some comparison uh, so you can get your mind around this. This is the Earth compared to some smaller planets. That's the size compared to some smaller planets. This next one is the Earth compared to some larger planets and how it compares to other planets in our solar system. And then here's the Earth compared to the sun within our solar system. And then this is the sun compared to some medium-sized stars. And this is all the work of his fingers. Wow. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic your name is, it fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. Wow, that is the definition of awesome. That is the definition of worthy of praise. Awe is not a have to, it's a how can you not. If you look at your Bible close, at, at verse one, I want you to notice it says that, that the Lord has written two different ways, two different words. It says, oh Lord, our Lord, but they're not the same. When you see Lord with all the capital letters, that's in Hebrew, that's the name of God, Yahweh, it's, it's, it's his name. But then you see Lord in Hebrew as Adonai, that's master and that's his title. So you have here, Lord, his name, our Lord, his title. David is saying, oh God, our master, your majestic name fills the earth. Oh God, our master, you are awesome. This is how our prayers are supposed to start. Even Jesus taught us this. When, we said, when the disciples said, Jesus, how should we pray? He wrote, our Father, you pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God in heaven, you are holy. And prayer doesn't, it doesn't uh, if it doesn't start there, it will never lead to God. And that actually leads to our second why behind the wow. Wow, God, you are awesome. But then, wow, I am not awesome. I am not awesome. 
Uh, th- this is not a statement meant to, to be negative. It's just realistic. Like when I think of myself, God, in perspective to awesome things, I realize how quickly that humanity is not all that impressive and we certainly are not the center of the universe. The world doesn't actually revolve around us. Look at those verses again. He said, when I, think, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, listen to this, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Some translations say, what is man that you are mindful of him? When you consider the greatness of heavens, you can't help but realize the insignificance of man. And David sat around wondering, why would such a great God even beware of my existence? And yet, as we just learned during the Advent series, before the creation of the world, God had already decided that humanity was worth dying for, that you were worth dying for. We should be in awe that we even matter to him. Commentator John Trapp, back in the 1600s, wrote these words. He said, sorry, sickly man, a mass of mortalities, a map of miseries, a mixture or compound of dirt and sin, and yet God is mindful of him. And again, this isn't humanity bashing at its finest. This is about proper perspective and nothing else. In God's eyes, we are of unsurpassable value and worth. When you weigh humanity versus the, the, the reality of the universe, you think, wow, why do I matter so much to him? King David is capturing this sense of awe as well in Psalm 8 as he considers the vastness of all God has made and he encounters the smallness of who he is and David was brought to a space of awe and worship. Who are we, God, that you would think of us? Wow, and this is an entirely appropriate question for us to ask. When Stephen Hawking, who was not a believer, but who was a theoretical physicist and cosmologist, which just means he was really, really smart, Uh, when he calculated the mathematical possibility of life developing on earth, he came up with the answer. Zero. It's not possible. Meaning, apart from God, we shouldn't be here, and yet we are. I love how Eugene Peterson captures these verses in the message. Psalm 8, 3, and 4 in the message says this, I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. And then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? Now this causes those who don't believe to lack hope. But for those who have faith, this should not discourage us. This should lead us to an even greater sense of awe because here's what all this means in the context of God. It means that though we are small to God, we are not insignificant. Though we are small to God, we are not insignificant. And that actually leads to our third why behind the wow. And I think the reason a lot of Christians are missing awe is because they either don't realize this is true about their lives or they're trying to ignore the implications of this truth. The third why behind the wow is this. Wow, God has awesome plans for me. And I hope by now you're you're sensing a pattern in these blanks when you realize how big God is and how small we are, it humbles you to the point you start asking big questions like what is our place in the greater picture of creation and where and how do we fit into that bigger picture? Well, he answers that starting in verse four. He says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them, yet you made them only a little lower than God? 
and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swings in the ocean currents. What separates us from the rest of creation? What distinguishes us from the animal kingdom? Really, the answer is, is two things. The first, opposable thumbs, right? These babies, with these babies, we can accomplish so many things that, that other animals can't, and yet even opposable thumbs don't set us apart. Some hu- humans are not alone in this category. We have some friends in the animal kingdom who know all about opposable thumbs. But the truth is that, all joking aside, what sets us apart is far less physical and far more spiritual, emotional, and intellectual. What sets us apart is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. In other words, we are the only creatures who are image bearers of God. As King David reflects on all of God's creatures, every beast of the field, the birds in the sky, every fish in the sea, all of them amazing and unique and beautiful, he's keenly aware there is something that sets us apart. And this is the unique thing about humanity. We have the capacity to feel awe, to look at creation with wonder, to reflect on and wonder about what our purpose is in all of it, to realize that we don't deserve it, that that we're of unsurpassable worth in God's eyes for some reasons and and look at all that and go wow why no other creature on earth is aware of their creator much less has a capacity to be in awe of God just us and this gives us a a significance in the universe it gives us a, a a universal purpose a purpose uniquely bound up in our relationship with God and a purpose that most of humanity simply overlooks psalm 8 verse 6 it says you gave them that means humans you gave them charge of everything you made putting all things under their authority and you can almost hear david saying what were you thinking regardless of what's going on in your life right now i want you to pause right now and take just a moment think about this awesome world we live in and think about how just how small we are in the scheme of things And I want you to hear this. God loves you. He has a plan for you. The one who made the earth made you a steward of the earth. And that should make you feel very, very small. But it should not make you feel insignificant. Far, far from it. And when you choose to make this prayer a part of every day and to start your day right-sizing your perspective on life and remembering who God is and who you are, it should make your problems seem so much smaller. It should relieve your anxiety and take weight off your shoulders. It should remind you that God is on the throne, that he is in control. And when something feels like the end of the world, guess what? It's not. And it should leave you saying, wow, God is so good. And many would say, "But, but wait, wait, wait. We sort of royally screwed it up, didn't we? I mean, It's great God loves us. It's great he entrusted us with so much. But if you look around, we're not doing so hot. Mathematician and philosopher Bertrand Russell put it this way. He said, if I were granted omnipotence and millions of years to experiment in, I would not think man much to boast of as the final result of all my efforts. 
And honestly, he, he ain't wrong, right? As we've already established, who is man that God would even take notice? Beyond being a teeny tiny speck in the universe, given our long history of endless wars and hatred and injustice and the way we treat one another, other image bearers, the way we treat them, in light of all that, we don't seem to be living out our calling as those who are crowned with glory and honor. In fact, most people don't even acknowledge God in their lives. And many Christians, while acknowledging the name of Jesus, are not living in awe of who God is. They spend most of their lives making much of themselves, and they are living unaware of this calling in life and, and what it means to live as God's image bearers on this earth. And that, that is where Jesus enters the picture. Jesus came to make right where the, we had gone wrong and deli deliver us from sin and to make a way back to the Father where we have a second chance to, to surrender to the Father and to, and to take our rightful places as image bearers. In fact, the author of Hebrews points to this amazing truth. In Hebrews 2, he says this, For in one place the Scriptures say, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, or the Son of Man that you should care for them? Yet, for a little while, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Watch this. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. And that leads us to our fourth and final why behind our wow. Wow. How awesome is the grace of God through Jesus. I think we forget, at least we try to take control of it ourselves, we try to take it for granted. When we experience God's grace, it is truly life-changing, but after a while, faith becomes something I am doing instead of living in light of what Jesus has already done for me. And it's so easy to lose sight of God's amazing grace when you don't feel like you need it anymore. And I wonder how many Christians here are struggling with awe. I wonder how many have lost sight of the wonder of the gospel. John Bevere in his book, The Awe of God, puts it this way. He says, here's a firm truth. You will never find God's wonderful presence in an atmosphere where he's not revered and held in awe. What's the atmosphere of your faith life right now? Are you holding God in awe or have you lost sight of his grace today? The first prayer we are challenging you to start praying again is the prayer of, wow, where you take time to consider the works of his hand to consider just how small we are and to consider he still chooses to work through us despite fears and failures and imperfections and humanity. My God, how awesome you truly are. I leave you with the words of Charles Spurgeon, famous English preacher from the 1800s. I think he nailed it. He hit it on the head. He said, even thou, silly worm, shalt honor him when it shall appear what God hath done for thee, what lusts he hath mortified and what graces he hath granted thee. Father, wow. I can't earn you. I don't deserve you. I know my life. I know me. Who am I that you would see me? And yet you do. And you not only see me, you love me. And you not only love me, you redeem me. And you not only redeem me, you want to use me. Oh God, oh Lord our God, how majestic is your name. Amen.